Welcome to Living on Earth. I'm Steve Kerwood. This is the time of year when we like to take a break from today's environmental news and take a moment to share in the ancient means of communication, storytelling. And this year, our theme is about the one thing many of us do during the holidays, travel to the place we call home. Home, as Robert Frost put it, is the place where, when you have to go there, they have to take you in. And indeed, there is something of the imperative in all the stories we'll hear today from our three guests as they share their homecoming tales. I'd like to welcome J. O. Callahan. He's a storyteller from Massachusetts, and he's here with a tale about returning home for his sister's wedding and how a giant blizzard transformed that celebration into a day that no one soon forgot. Glad you could make it, Jay. Thank you, Steve. Also joining us is Andre Asaman, a writer and teacher at the City University of New York, and he'll be telling us about how and why the city of Rome became his adopted home. Andre, thanks for being here. Thank you for having me. I'd like to start our round of storytelling, though, with Diane Furlot. Thanks for joining us. My pleasure. Diane, now I know you're from Oakland, California these days, but your story's all about growing up in a much different place, rural Louisiana. So please, take us back to your family homestead. My family has been living in the South for a long time. I mean, they went from slavery to sharecropping and from sharecropping to any kind of work they could find. And my grandfather, who was a preacher, was the first member of our family on my daddy's side who was born free. I was born in New Orleans, Louisiana, 57 years ago. And all the family I ever heard about or knew about lived in Louisiana. We lived in the 17th Ward in Orleans Parish on Genoa Street. We knew everybody who lived on that street. And I remember this the freedom I had just to run from porch to porch, house to house, visiting and playing with my cousins and my friends. And every time my cousin came over to visit my mama, she would holler out in this high-pitched voice, Yoo-hoo! And just walk in. But as a little girl, I spent a lot of time at my grandfather and grandmother's house in Alexandria, Louisiana, a small little country town. And back then on Peabody Street, where they lived, it seemed like everybody had a porch to sit on. And everybody on Peabody Street knew me. <laughs> Whenever I went anywhere, folks sitting on their porches would always say, hey, whether you were coming or going. You see, that's the way it was in the South. You couldn't pass anybody without somebody saying, hello. But now summertime in Louisiana <laughs> was hotter than hot. In the evening, we used to sit on the front porch for hours, laughing and talking, telling stories, while trying to catch a cool breeze. And the screen on the porch kept the bugs out. And believe me, in Louisiana, there were plenty of bugs. And I was scared of every one of them, too. <laughs> but you know, even though I, I didn't like the bugs... I did like their singing at night. My folks didn't have much education, but they were tough. They knew how to make do. And just about everything they ate came from their garden or from fishing in the bayou. And everybody in my family could cook, too. So you know we had plenty of good eating. And our favorite thing to eat was whole cake bread. You made it the same way you make biscuits. But instead of rolling out the dough and cutting it, 
See, you'd make a ball and you'd pat it down in the skillet and cook it slow until it was done. Mm-mm. Back in 1945, when I was born, things were different in Louisiana. Because even though my daddy was a skilled bricklayer and a plasterer, because of the color of his skin and Jim Crow, he couldn't get this job, he couldn't get that job, couldn't sit here, couldn't sit there, couldn't go through this door, couldn't go through that door. But that's the way it was. And because of the way things were in the South, many black people started leaving the South. And my family decided to leave too. And my aunt, who had already moved to California, she told my daddy, you want to come to California. There's more work out here. I didn't want to go to California. But before we left, they had a party for us. Everybody on the block came. I never will forget. It rained that day too. Tears were flowing. But my daddy, he put us on a train and we headed up to California. I was nine years old. When we got to California, we had to live with my aunt and her family in Oakland. It wasn't hot like Louisiana. It was cold, and it was summertime, too. And I remember she didn't even have a front porch to sit on. But as soon as my daddy got a job, we moved out and got our own place. You didn't have a front porch, either. And when people walked by your house, I mean, they hardly even looked at you. At first, I didn't like California, but my cousin lives right behind us. That helped a little, but it was different. But one thing I liked, though, there was no bugs biting you. But you know, at night, I did miss the sound of the bugs singing. And when we went to the movies, we could sit anywhere we wanted to. We didn't have to go to the balcony. And when me and my mama got on the bus and I hit it for the back, she said, oh, no, baby, it's okay to sit up front. And my daddy, he got more work than he ever got in Louisiana. We all were beginning to like California, even getting used to the weather. But it still wasn't the same. I'm sure it wasn't the same for my mom and daddy either. Because every summer, guess what? My whole family would drive thousands of miles all the way back down to Louisiana. Can you imagine that? Driving thousands of miles across the desert in all that heat with no air conditioning. Now the first time, We went back to Louisiana. We had been living in California for a year or so, and I had gotten used to it. So used to it, in fact, that one time when we stopped to get gas, I almost walked into a bathroom that had a white-only sign on it. I don't know what upset me more, the white-only sign or that big bug I stepped on and squashed trying to run back to the car. And my daddy would say, girl, those bugs won't hurt you. You're scared of everything. But every year, when we went back to Louisiana, it was always the same, just as I remembered it. I mean, everywhere you looked, there was something green growing, and it smelled different, too. The smells of moisture from the swamps and humidity and mold grass just filled the air. And when we finally turned a corner on Peabody Street, going to my grandfather's house, everybody would start waving and yelling, Hey! 
Glad to see you again. Oh, you back home, huh? How long you gonna stay this time? And when we parked the car and my daddy stepped out, some folks could come over and shake his hand laughing and talking and people would hug my mama and kids that knew me would come running over to see me and my brother. But then the screen door would open and my aunt, who we call Nanny, would come out and she'd say, let me see you kids. Come here and give me a kiss. Ooh, look how you've grown. Come on in the house. I got something to show you. And what she had was my favorite thing, too. A big, cold piece of watermelon. Mm, and the electric fans in the house blew the smell of cornbread, bacon, fresh fish fried from the kitchen Ooh, all the way to the front porch. And with the smell of rain in the air, it smelled like home. And it was home. Because before long, the front porch was just full of people laughing and talking. <laughs> but well, as we got older, my brother and I didn't always go back to the South every year. I guess we thought we were just too city-fied for that small little country town. We had changed, but so did the community on Peabody Street. Some people leaving and some dying. Even my grandmother was gone. Only my grandfather and my Aunt Nanny were still living in our house on Peabody Street. But that was enough for my daddy, because every year he went back, and always the cheapest way to driving. <laughs> but one time, he talked me and my new husband into driving down there with him. First time my San Francisco-born and bred husband had been in the South. Now, he didn't know what to expect, especially since he's white. You should have seen a surprise on my 104-year-old grandfather's face when my husband walked into the house. All he could say was, who that boy? And my nanny, who was caring for my grandfather, took to my husband like he was family. And he was. And before long, they were out together fishing for catfish on the bayou. She was cooking him whole cake bread for breakfast. And he was fixing buttermilk for papa and sitting on the porch laughing and talking like he had always been there. Well, that year, my husband got a little taste of what we missed and why we went back. And I realized what I had been missing, too. I realized that there's no substitute for roots and family. I missed the slower pace of life. You know, taking time to talk to one another. And, of course, the good food like red beans and rice, jambalaya, crawfish, filet gumbo, and, of course, what was famous in our house, whole cake bread. But we always had to beg to get Nanny to make it. But if you beg long enough, sooner or later, she'd be patting it down in that iron skillet. A few years later, after my grandfather had died, though, at the age of 107, Nanny got sick right before Christmas. And my daddy drove straight down to Louisiana, put Nanny in the car and drove her to Oakland, California so we could take care of her. When we left the doctor's office, it didn't look good. I mean, she was very sick. But she was able to be with us in our home for Christmas. But soon, she was back in the hospital again. And then we got a call saying that we better come 
It didn't look like she was going to make it. And there we were, all standing around her bed. And you know what I was thinking. Whole cake bread. I told her, don't you die on me. You better get up and make me some whole cake bread. And don't you know she had the nerve to try and laugh on her deathbed. It was funny. But it was her last laugh. And ever since, we have been trying to make whole cake like nannies. But we haven't got it right yet. Storyteller Diane for a lot. We'll be right back with more tales about coming home. Stay tuned to Living on Earth. Welcome back to Living on Earth. I'm Steve Kerwood. You're listening to our annual storytelling special featuring J.O. Callahan, Andre Asaman, and Diane Ferlot, who's just told us a wonderful tale about her yearly trips back to her family homestead in Louisiana. And Diane, your story reminds me of one I'd like to share with you all. It's about the years that my mother and I would return home from her job in Ohio to our family farmhouse in New Hampshire for Christmas and New Year's. Now, no one lived there. Uh, once my mother started teaching out in Ohio, my grandmother moved over to my aunt's house in another state. But the spirit of home was still there. Now, this house was built in 1755, and it was always stone warm. Yeah, I mean, in the winter, sure, it was cold because the heat and water were, were turned off. But it was always warmer than the outside because there's a big, well, actually, it's a massive stone center chimney that reaches down to the constant 55 degrees of the earth. And so it doesn't take too long to uh, get a wood stove uh, going to get the place nice and toasty. And when we come back, that's what we do. We'd stoke it up, we get the place nice and warm, and head out to cut a Christmas tree. And, you know, even today, when I hear feet stamping at the back door, getting the snow off, uh, that says home to me, just as much as the crackle of the fire that was that was going. And each year, oh, I'd spend a lot of time in that car toll after toll, highway after highway, gas station after gas station getting there. And more than once, I think we must have gone through some pretty nasty snow and ice storms. But no one ever asked if it was worth it. It was it was all worth it when you were there just just be, to be able to throw another log on, on the fire from a tree that had cut down maybe the previous year someplace out on the 30 acres. Um, you know, it warmed you back then with the sweat and the saw and then it warmed you again. And in just a few days, we'll be gone again. But there'd be no doubt that we come back for the holidays another year. So that's my story, Diane. Hmm, a good one. I don't have to travel that far now to get there because that's the house I live in now. How about you? When's the last time you went to Louisiana? I went there in August. I took my mom back because she is beginning Alzheimer's now, and she keeps talking about going back to Louisiana, going back to Louisiana. So I think we're going to take her. So we took her back in August, my husband and I. I saw the house where I used to live when I was a little girl. Man, had it changed. <laughs> so all the, you know, houses that I used to remember to running from porch to porch. There's only a few people left on the block that knew me and my mama, but it changed a lot. But the funny thing about this trip to Louisiana, now that we're back home in California, my mother doesn't even remember going. How strong is that pull on the landscape in that community for you? It's so strong because I have a. I went back there every year. It was always, you know, people knew me. 
knew my mama, my cousins. It was just such a warm. Everybody, I felt loved. So it gets harder and harder to go back the longer you've been away, perhaps. Yeah, especially since everybody's going and the neighborhood's changing. My house where I used to live looks so different and so old. And different people are living there. It was kind of a rough neighborhood now. It's just different. Jay, what is what did Diane's story evoke for you? Oh, Diane, I love the uh, the love you had for Louisiana. I love the sense of smells and community and the voices, the welcoming. And I love the sense of your life going to California, that journey, and then being pulled back. And then the wonderful, wonderful cake. It was just uh, like a wonderful invitation into your journey. Oh, thank you. Beautiful. And Andre? Oh, I mean, it filled me with so many things in common. To start with, you know, I was born in a city called Alexandria, so it instantly rang a bell. Um, but the thing that I, I was kept thinking of is now that you basically have lost that childhood home and the childhood city, town, um, can you recreate this for other people, that same feeling of love and welcoming and family and friends, community? Can you reproduce that elsewhere? Or is it permanently lost? No, I think it's... It can be it can be created other places, especially where I live now. I, I get to know my neighbors. I know everybody on my block. And I invite people over to my house all the time. We're always eating. So I try to create that. Of course, my family, who lives in California, they still come over and we always gather, eating. And my mother can still sort of make whole cake bread, but mm-hmm. she's losing it. And if I don't get the recipe, it's going to be gone forever. Yeah, I hope you get it soon. I want to try it myself. 